0: God is on the move, huh? God is on the move. Mike and I were talking, we plan things out, try to be very organized, and I was saying, what's going to happen one Sunday when we have to drop all of that, and we end up perhaps on our knees, on our faces, in the presence of God? Would that be okay with you, church? Yeah. Business as usual, oftentimes. Philip Suarez, why don't you come up? We like to highlight stories because the real ministry of the church happens among you during the week, doesn't it? And so the real ministers of the church are you, the people that gather on Sundays. And so Philip represents that. I asked Philip if he would share a little bit of his story. Many of you know Philip Suarez. He's going to talk about something that he's been doing at his place of business. So why don't you tell us about it?
1: Yeah. so my name is Philip Suarez. For those who don't know me, and I work for a company here. And uh, a few years ago, some background: I did a men's group with Rock Bottomly over there. And at the end, he encouraged us to do this, model what he had done, and, and get into life with other guys. So it took me three years, but I did it. And um, so our company is broken down into regions, and we're in the Oklahoma City metro. There's 78 people, and so I emailed 10 guys, and seven of them took me up on it. And so we've been meeting Fridays at lunchtime to just live and do life.
0: A variety of guys. So it's not like FCA or all these guys that show up. Talk about the variety a little
1: bit. That's why it took me three years. Uh, (laughs) Right after his, I did one right away with three people, but I knew how they all felt and believed. So that was easy. Uh, This one, I just felt for about a year or so, God was saying, hey, get out there, be bold in the faith, and I'm with you. And so. I prayed over some names and found 10 guys and sent it out and I was shocked by who actually took me up on it. Uh, We've got, there's seven of us, three of us I know we're, we're pretty solid, I feel like we all believe the same thing. Two, uh, grew up in just really weird households and uh, bad situations and have heard about this God that people picture that's not the real God, That you know the genie God, you want this, we get this, that kind of thing. And so just talking about that, and one's an agnostic and so um, um, and then there's one other that kind of grew up in a Christian home, but doesn't, is questioning quite a bit. And so... Uh, it's a Motley group. Yeah. Now,
0: some of us could say, well, I can't do this. It took Philip three years it's going to take me 12 years. So what are you doing exactly so that it makes it accessible? What do you do with Yeah, your if it
1: took me 3, that means you should do it in like 6 months. But basically, we have the easiest flow is the journey. If any of you are familiar with the journey, you basically just pick a book in the Bible. Mark would be a great place to start. You get together for an hour, read one chapter, everybody read it a little bit and then go ahead and just speak about what the lord is is speaking to you that's the easy way what we did in our group was we felt as men we're called to be leaders whether you think you're a leader or not so we wanted to get together to be better as leaders husbands fathers and then advisors in our business and uh, so we do one week which is a life week where we do that i just shared and then we ask a life question, something that wouldn't normally come up in conversation, and then the next week we do a learn, which is just a podcast, an excerpt from a book. It takes no planning, I do nothing, I show up, and we all just do it together. Awesome. Can I just say one more thing? Yes. Okay, Okay. I would encourage you, uh, I remember in college somebody said, you are where you're supposed to be because the Lord has you there. And so I would just say don't pass up this opportunity wherever you are, whether it's you're there to learn something, you're being taught, you have to learn patience, right? A lot of us are in a place for a long time for that. But there's people around you that need to know what's going on in your life. And there's no places like this, like Rock said, where men can just get together and share. And I'm sure there's no places where women like that at the workplace can get together and share. So do it.
0: Thank you, Philip. Again, when God is on the move, we begin to realize that God has us in a place strategically, wherever that might be. We carry the kingdom, do we not? On a very different note, I trust our Thunder fans have recovered from the Thursday loss to the Lakers. Last night helped, didn't it? The win over Philadelphia. Those of you that don't care, that's okay. I can't shoot a basketball to save my life, but... I like to cheer the thunder on. I'm not gonna embarrass him, but I've got an old friend here and his fiance, and they're with us. So do you mind just waving right here? I'm not gonna have you stand up or anything, but old friend Andy and his fiance Whitney, and I'm glad that they're with us. We go way back into the 80s, and so we share this holy thing called 80s music together. We have a passion for it. He actually has a band that plays 80s music. So glad you're here, Andy. So, we're in part three of a series on developing a biblical vision of the kingdom of God, which is the dynamic rule and reign of God. What is the kingdom? It's the presence of the king. And so, we're in week three and. Today we're going to look at the kingdom of God in the book of Exodus. Before we do that, though, I want to highlight something quickly. Some Who's seen the bookcase that we have out in the commons area? Have you seen the new bookcase just outside the, the restrooms there? There are carefully selected books there that really kind of carry and transmit the DNA of our lords and one of those is called Breakthrough by Derek Morphew and Mike and I and others are reading this right now it's about the kingdom of God and it's a wonderful book I think it's 12 bucks we have those out there I also have a book um, because many of you were asking about Jackie Pullinger. I shared a little bit from her story last week. And we have a few copies of Chasing the Dragon, Jackie Pullinger's story. I'm actually going to give this copy to the person who does not have a copy of it, who can tell me what verse was influential in getting her to the Walt city of China. We looked at this passage. What was it? Somebody gets a free book if you can shout it out you can't say the Old Testament. (laughs) Nice try. Anyone want a free book? Genesis 12. 12. Who said that? All right, Kaylee. Genesis 12, right there. You got it. So, Jackie Pullinger's story called Chasing the Dragon. And why in the world are we looking at the kingdom of God? I've said two reasons. One is it's the overarching theme of the Bible. And The message of Scripture is that God is king over all creation, and God is becoming king through the Lord Jesus, through his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. The kingdom of God has broken into human history, and one day we will see it wrapped up. We will see it fully consummated, and we're going to talk about that further In the coming weeks. The second reason that we study the kingdom together is because we get drawn into the story, don't we? We were experiencing the kingdom this morning, and then we will go out and carry the kingdom during the week. So, those are two reasons why we're doing this. I don't know about you, but it's difficult to discern the presence of the kingdom out there, is it not? During the week, it is madness. The world is crazy, it's broken, but Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. It's been planted in the soil of human history, and I tell you, church, one day it will grow into a mighty tree and fill the earth, and we get to be a part of that. So I want us to just very quickly here look at a couple of things that we have covered over the past few weeks. We looked at Genesis 1, didn't we? And we saw in Genesis 1 that God called us from the beginning, human beings, to rule and reign with Him. We talked about the image of God, the imago Dei, Latin for that, that all of us are created in the image of God and that we have been called to rule and reign with God. But we know this story took a detour. Human beings said, ah, I wanna go my own way. And so human sin and rebellion entered into creation, but God gets the last word every time. We saw in Genesis 12, Kaylee knew this, she remembered, that God initiates a further step in his kingdom plan. Again, it was kingdom from the beginning, that's an unstoppable plan, and so in Genesis 12, God appears to this man named Abraham and his wife Sarah, and says, "I am going to bless the nations through you. The king eventually actually will come through your line. The king is coming." And so today, I want us to look at another place in the Old Testament where the kingdom of God is glimpsed, where it breaks through, and that is the book of Exodus. Many of you have probably seen The Prince of Egypt. What a great film. Many of those are not very good, but The Prince of Egypt is wonderful. So if you're interested in what we're talking about today, watch The Prince of Egypt. And it narrates the story that we're going to look at today, the narrative of God's continuing kingdom. And the story, as some of you are familiar with, goes like this. Israel is oppressed severely by Egypt. They're slaves, and they're being worked to the bone by this oppressive king and his kingdom. They're helping build the structures for the Egyptian empire. In their misery, the Israelites turn to God. They say, save us, rescue us. At Exodus 2, Twenty-three. Listen to what the Israelites pray. They groan under their slavery and their cry for help rose to God. God hears and God sends this dude named Moses, right? We're going to be looking at this a little more. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, a very mysterious moment here, and there is a revelation of God and God's name. Moses goes on to redeem the people. So what I want us to do this morning is zoom in on three events in the Exodus narrative. The first one is that God's name is revealed. So you can look in Exodus three, and we're gonna have this on a slide, I'm only gonna look at a few verses there in Exodus three. And I've already mentioned that the scene is unfolding here, and we find Moses, he's tending a flock, Again, if you're visual, you can picture the prince of Egypt. And Moses is off at the edge of a desert near the base of a mountain, and he sees this strange sight, a flaming shrub, and he draws closer to it. And the voice of God speaks from the fire and lays his heart bare. God tells Moses, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he had observed the misery of his people. So God tells Moses, in short, in this story, I'm going to send you to confront the king of Egypt and to bring my people out of slavery. Moses, like any good servant of God, says, who am I? And he begins to back out of the situation. And it's wordplay here. He says, who am I? And what does God say to him? I am. And so he begins to authorize him and qualify him for the job. Let's read this at Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Moses says to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. God said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Look at this. And this is my title for all generations. So what I wanna do is point out two things here. Again, we're gonna move through some of the high points of this narrative so that at the end of it, we're like, I see the kingdom in Exodus. The first thing here, Moses wants to know the name of God. Who is this that's speaking to me and about to send me? Before we do this though, those of you that have read it, you're familiar with this story, maybe watch Prince of Egypt. Do you remember what happened in chapter 2? What did Moses do? He saw a Hebrew slave being whipped. What's he do? What's his reaction? Prayer? God? Intervene? What does Moses do? He murders the guy and buries him in the desert. So I want, the context here is very important. The holiest of holy, is about to reveal himself to someone. He's a murderer. That's how God works. God chooses the unlikely, the unqualified, the broken. The holy I am is about to reveal himself to this person. It's stunning. Oftentimes that's not focused on. We know from this passage, Moses is pretty nervous here. So knowing God's name is much more than just formality. Moses needs to know who it is who's sending me. Just think if I went to pick up Jake at school and I marched into the office and I said, I'm here to get Jake Bingaman, thank you. How would the people respond? I would have to show my ID. I would say, I'm his father, I'm here, I am authorized to take him. That's the same thing that's happening here. With Moses. He's saying, I can't just roll into this situation. Who is it that's sending me? And what God is giving us right here is his ID. I am who I am. This is the one who is sending you. But what exactly does this mean? Is this baffling to you? I am who I am. I want us to drill down into it a little bit. It's very mysterious, but it's beautiful and powerful, it's fascinating. What this last phrase says here, look at it, church, 3.15 here, Exodus 3.15. It says, this is my name forever, and then what does it say? This is my title. Interesting. So what God is saying here is, I am God. I am Elohim. That is my title, but my name is I Am. So much like... Human, I am human, but my name is Brock Bingaman. That is precisely what is going on here. I am Elohim, I am the creator, but my name is I am who I am. There's something very intimate here. The Hebrew for this is Ehe Asher Ehe. Ehe Asher Ehe. The holy name of God. And we, we can't translate it. It is so sacred that many Jews would not speak it. So they came up with a substitute, and it's the Lord. Usually in caps, if you look at your Bible, it's the Lord. And it appears over 5,000 times in the Old Testament. So it's very, very important. We could translate it numerous ways. We could say, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I cause to be what I cause to be. It's a stunning name of God that conveys the dynamic power of God's being. God is the fountain of all being is what this says. God is the foundation of all being. This I am is the source of all goodness and love and power. That's what the text is saying. Why do you think we say hallelujah? We're saying, Praise the Lord. All of that is rooted in this text right here. It's one of the most sacred in the entire Old Testament. Israel's in despair. The context of this revelation here they're saying, Is God there? Does God exist? God, do you see us? I don't know about you, but like Israel, I have those moments. God, do you see what's happening? do you care? Will you remind me again that you are present, that you are Lord over the brokenness of my life? You are Lord over these circumstances that are eating away at me like termites. And the word of God reminds us that the great I am is there and hears our cries. Amen? So Yahweh, who just spoke to Moses' within flaming fire, is about to manifest the power of his kingdom. Just sit with that for a minute. He's getting ready to deliver enslaved Israel. So knowing God's name is very important for Moses, and it will be very important for Pharaoh to hear this, and it will be very important for the people of Israel. So this brings us to the second point here. God's kingdom intervenes. I wish we could read more text, but just for the sake of time, I'm going to touch on a few things here. Is that okay? Chapters five through six, Moses goes, empowered by the revelation of the divine name, and he confronts Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, with words and deeds, and Moses says, essentially, you better let God's people go or else. There's a very strange little story here at the beginning of the broader narrative and we get to see the beginning of kingdom intervention. Think about this. Moses and Aaron go in, they have these staffs, they have these rods, they challenge Pharaoh. He counters with his own magicians. They call on the name of their gods, throw their staff down, using sorcery and various things. It comes to life, becomes a snake. And then Aaron's rod actually devours their rod, proving, before we even get to see the rest of the story, whose name is more powerful. The sorcerers that are conjuring up and calling on these various Egyptian deities, or Yahweh. So from the beginning, we're going to see that this is gonna be a clash, a clash of deities here. Verses, in chapter 7 through 11, Moses begins to announce a series of plagues that demonstrate Yahweh's kingdom power over this Egyptian empire. And I want to just highlight two things very quickly here. The first in this is that the plagues show the power of Yahweh and they undermine particular Egyptian gods and deities. Have you ever thought of this? It wasn't just a random set of judgments. Each single one is carefully placed here, carefully predicted to demonstrate God's kingdom is intervening. The first plague, I'm gonna just give you a few examples. The first plague, what happens? What happens to the Nile River? Turns to blood. This immediately discredits the God of the Nile, whose name was Hoppy. So Moses is letting the people know, Yahweh, the only true God, is on the scene. Hoppy is a joke. Then it develops. The fifth plague, the livestock dies. Do you know what's happening there? It's humiliating two other Egyptian deities. Apis, the god of bulls, and Hathor, a goddess who had a cow head. Sounds like Dungeons and Dragons here, doesn't it? Harry Potter, something. So we could go through over and over again and look at these plagues, each one of them subverting and dismantling these Egyptian gods. The ninth plague. What happens to the sun? It's eclipsed. It's dark, it blots out Ra, the sun god. The people are being fully convinced that the gods in our pantheon, our collection of deities, are powerless. Who is this I am that Moses is representing? And the 10th plague, this is a very sad story, isn't it? Some of these Old Testament stories, you can't just gloss over it, it's sad. What happens in the 10th plague, around Passover in this? the firstborn egyptian sons die and so two more egyptian gods are being undermined here min m i n who's the god of reproduction and then isis the one that we're more familiar with who is the goddess to protect children both of them are completely discredited and the power of god is demonstrated here and because Moses was predicting these. He was prophesying them. The Egyptians couldn't say, ah, natural disaster, series of bad coincidences. No, 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 no. This was Yahweh speaking and dismantling this empire that had oppressed his people. Another thing here that's happening. After Yahweh is publicly humiliating the gods, of Egypt. Yahweh then defeats the army. So, first in the spiritual realm, and then what? Then on the ground. There's something here that's being illustrated. When the kingdom comes, there's breakthrough in the spiritual realm, and then there's breakthrough on terra firma, on the earth. And we see this play out. And this is really tragic. We see that Pharaoh's heart hardens and he sends his armies after these slaves who are fleeing, who are being set free. And it's almost like evil swallows itself up. They end up in the Red Sea and they've destroyed themselves, basically is what the narrative is proving. If you let evil take over, this is where it leads, self-destruction. This is a stunning story, is it not? This is an amazing story, and it has inspired people throughout history, including black Americans. Some of you know I was a geeky professor for seven years at Wesleyan College in the Deep South, and I used to teach a seminar called Black Theology, and it was an eye-opening experience. I would read these powerful writings by these black theologians and time and time again, you know what story they referenced? You guessed it, Exodus, the Exodus event. It was woven through the works. And what they said over and over again was that black slaves in the 18th and 19th centuries were inspired by this story that we're looking at this morning. The black preachers would preach it The church would sing it, and eventually they believed to such an extent that oppression was broken, laws were changed, they were freed. You can actually hear elements of this in Martin Luther King's sermons and his messages. For those of you that have listened to them, if you haven't, you should. These monumental messages in the 1960s talk about all kinds of elements that we're looking at here today. In fact, King was viewed by some as a modern Moses, sent to help deliver black Americans from oppression and injustice. Interestingly, we will be celebrating MLK Day tomorrow and that is what this is all about. This text, the word of God has power that echoes throughout human history. It's not just about what happened back then. The kingdom intervenes, King, Dr. King experienced this, and he took this very message here and changed history. So, it this Exodus story appeals and informs large-scale situations, doesn't it? We've seen that. This narrative right here changed the course of American history, but it also speaks to individual people who were oppressed by various evil forces. As I was Pondering this text this week, I thought of a story. I reached out to my mother because she's part of this story. And I thought of an individual who had her own Exodus deliverance as she was being swallowed up in darkness. This lady, I'm not going to name her, some of you may know her, but she worked at a Mexican restaurant. And one day she was serving a couple of women and one of them being my mother, a couple of crazy, happy Christian women, and she asked, why are you so joyful? And she stirred the hornet's nest <laughs> by asking that question. And before it was over, this, these two ladies gave their phone number to this waitress, this server, and she actually called. And in short, what happened is they became friends, And she grew to trust them and she began to open up her life and say, I am dealing with addiction to alcohol, cocaine, depression, I've been mistreated by various men, my life is a mess. And this single mother cried out to God in the midst of her own Egypt situation. She ends up giving her life to Jesus She's baptized, she went through healing and deliverance, and her life was radically rearranged. The story goes on. One of the ladies that was there at lunch said, why don't you and your daughter come and live in my house? Because the situation was so dire, she came and lived in the house, and this woman became a spiritual mentor to this young single mom. Taught her how to study the scriptures, how to pray, how to walk out her deliverance, how to share her faith with other people. And her life was completely turned right side up. Listen to this. She ends up getting a job at Dillard's, working at a cosmetic counter. You know what happens? She starts to tell her friends. They're now saying the same thing she asked about. Why are you so joyful? Your life is meaningful. There's something about you. The short of it is six women at that Dillard's counter became Christians. This was so powerful over these few months that it became known in our circles as the Dillard's Revival. (laughs) And these women were joining our community group and we were having to find various swimming pools around Oklahoma City where we could baptize them and their children, and husbands, and fiances it was the kingdom of God breaking through. And I tell you what, we're gonna see things like that happen, church. Hearing a story like this is testimony because it is going to happen with you, amen? So what does the Lord have in his heart for us to be a part of so that we can have more stories like that to rescue people from addiction and brokenness? This brings us to the third and final point. It's the briefest one here. And it's at another section in Exodus, Exodus 15. You can turn there in your Bible. I'm only gonna show one verse here. There are numerous others, but essentially what's going on here in Exodus 15 is the first worship song is being sung. Think about that. In all of scripture, this is the first one. And it's called the Song of Moses. Or the song of Miriam, Aaron's sister. And it's actually two songs that are woven together. And this is their response. These slave people who have been set free, this is their response to Yahweh. And it's full of beautiful things about triumph and salvation and rescue and Yahweh being a warrior who loves us and delivers us. But I just want us to look at one verse here as we close, and it's at verse 18. Again, this story is oftentimes not read as a kingdom story, but it is. Are you being convinced? This is a kingdom story. And look at Exodus 15, 18. This verse right here makes it all clear. What's it say? Let me hear it. Again, let's hear Forever and ever. So this is their response to Yahweh, the warrior, the king who's delivered them, the underdogs, and this is their response. You, Lord, you, Yahweh, will reign. Your kingdom has broken through. And we know at verse 20, the women grab tambourines and they worship their guts out. The kingdom breaks in and our response is praise and worship. Yahweh, the great I am. You love us. You have gotten involved in our lives. This is kingdom language. And it speaks to us today, doesn't it? Again, we're not just looking at a story 3,500 years ago. We're looking at the living word of God. This exodus is something that we can all experience. You, Lord, set free those who are in bondage then and now. Your kingdom intervenes in broken lives. And when the king says, enough, be set free, we're set free. Some of you this morning are looking at your life and you're saying, I'm in bondage. I'm in my own Egypt. I'm in the desert. And if you will look to the Lord, he will say, enough, be set free. His power is something that we don't have within ourselves. Now you walk it out, Sometimes there's an instant where you meet the king and it changes you forever, but then you got to walk it out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. But this is why we're here at church. The kingdom breaks through, the king gives power over demons, addiction, brokenness. The king is on the move. So I want to leave you with two things here. How can I walk this out during the week? You interested? Two things. I'm going to encourage you to take these two action steps this week. The first, you've heard me say it over and over again, I'm rather monastic. I'm going to say the same thing because the mother of wisdom is repetition. And so I'm going to urge you to talk with God about the things revealed in these passages. So you actually take these verses and you craft little prayers. What are we calling those, Kaylee? Arrow prayers, not long prayers. It's not scripture memory, it's this. I'll give you an example. Do you want one? Exodus three, you could pray this. Lord, you are the great I am and your presence is with me. That becomes an arrow prayer that you can put and use throughout the day. This song that we just looked at, you could pray this at verse 15, Verse one in chapter 15, Lord, you triumph over my oppressors. Lord, you rule and reign. So these things actually activate the power of the word of God in our lives. So that's the first thing. The second is to ask God to form you into a kingdom carrier like Philip. Philip was talking about this morning. He is a carrier of the kingdom in his workplace. I can assure you this, If you will give yourself to this, praying the scriptures, living transparently before someone else, opening up your life, confessing sin, getting prayer, I can guarantee you your life will change. It's not an empty promise. Scripture teaches it. So if you will pray passages like this and turn this into a conversation with the great I am, he'll change your life. So Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is intervening and we turn now to celebrate your life, your death, your resurrection. Pray that you would capture our hearts afresh this morning as we continue to worship through communion.